of a life that is awful, there is always a reason to choose hope because of who Jesus is. Because God says he'll never leave his people nor forsake them. Although sometimes, like David in the Psalms, it feels like, well, maybe God has forsaken me. Maybe things are terrible. Maybe God doesn't love me. And the answer is no, God absolutely loves you. But sometimes life is a total train wreck. And we can always choose hope. In today's message, Pastor Daniel is going to show us why the ultimate marker of a person who is in Christ is hope. When you look at the economy, or the wars happening around the world, or politics within our own country, it's easy to get discouraged to the point of despair. But what sets apart the children of God is that we have a hope that is greater than all of this darkness. You have a hope grounded in the presence of God that never leaves you. Now here's Pastor Daniel in 2 Kings chapter 6 as he begins his message, Severe and Supernatural. Two messages away from being done with this Inside Man series. Am I the only one who can't fathom where the time has gone? It's been an amazing journey, hasn't it, as we've been studying the life of the prophet Elijah. There's so much for us to learn in the scriptures. And one of the reasons this series has been so important to me is because Elisha as a man was a lot like you and I. Elisha lived in the world that he was in and it was a challenging world and there was lots of things going on. But Elijah was God's inside man because Elijah realized that although he lived in the world that he was in and he moved with his community and his culture through all sorts of things, God also had a plan. And God was looking and is today still looking for people who are willing to say, I'm a citizen of two kingdoms. That I am a citizen of the world that I live in and I'm a citizen of heaven. And I want to live my heavenly citizenship into the life that we live in. And that is a great example, it's a great picture of what the Christian life is actually meant to be. That each one of us is called to be citizens of this world that we live in, but at the same time to be living our heavenly citizenship into the here and now, into the broken situations that we find ourselves in. Now, where we are in the study, in a lot of ways, it's... It's a disconcerting situation that the prophet Elisha finds himself in this week. So I want you to open in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to be picking up our story here at verse 24, and I'm going to be running us from 624 all the way through the end of chapter 7. It gives us an entire account. So open up those Bibles, 2 Kings 6, verse 24, because I'm going to be covering a lot of scriptures. I do encourage you to open a Bible or grab your smart device, and you can just type in 2 Kings 6, 24, and it will pop on up there. I want you to be able to read along in 2 Kings chapter 6, 
verse 24, it picks up on the heels of what we studied in our last message. Remember, in the last message, there was these raids that were going on from Syria into Israel. And remember, they were looking for the prophet Elisha. And if you recall, Elisha blessed them anyway. Even though they were there to arrest him, to potentially kill him, to bring him back captive to Syria, Elisha's counsel was to bless them anyway. And remember, once these Syrian raiders were taken into the city of Samaria, the king was like, should I kill him? He's like, no, 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 feed him. Feed him and take care of him and send him back. Now, on the heels of that, look what happens in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. It says this, and it happened... After this, that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And indeed, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Then as the king of Israel was Passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, what is troubling you? And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So I boiled my son And ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Now, I don't know about you, but some of the most horrible things to have read. We need to put this into cultural context in order to understand exactly what's going on here. See, although the king of Israel's kindness affected the hearts of the raiding bands of Syria. It didn't change the heart of the king of Syria, this king Ben-Hadad. So he decided that he was going to go and he was going to besiege the city of Samaria. Now, this was the way ancient rulers dealt with walled cities. What they would do is they would take an army and the army would completely surround the city, right? Right? And they would completely surround the city so that nobody can get in or nobody can come out. And what happened over time is when they besieged the city, because nobody can get in or nobody can get out, after a certain amount of time, there was no food left in the city. There was no provisions left in the city. If the city didn't have running water going into the city, they were running out of water, and it created the most atrocious of situations. It created a situation where people inside the city were literally starving to death. And that's exactly what you have going on here. You have a situation where in the brutal reality of countries at war with one another, the people inside the city of Samaria are literally starving to death. So much so that we learn here that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. Now, 80 shekels of silver was the equivalent to two pounds of silver. And a donkey's head was the least nourishing and most repulsive part of an animal that, according to the book of Leviticus, the children of Israel 
are not even allowed to eat. So any sort of sustenance was going at premium prices. To make matters worse, we see in these verses here, and I heard a little gross snicker about the middle of verse 25, how one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings were for five shekels of silver. Now, what that means is that this little amount, approximately a half a pint of dove poop, as we would say, colloquially, however you say that, (laughs) would go for about two ounces of silver. Now, some of your translations have other words for this. There's a lot of discussion. Is it carob beans, which is a nice way of saying little poop? (laughs) But the situation was bad. What does this teach us? It teaches us that sometimes things are awful. Sometimes things are awful. They're horrible. Sometimes situations are just the most atrocious. In a lot of ways, that's why if you're on uh, social media, you notice that I have a book that's going to be coming out called Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives. I wrote that book because sometimes life's just awful. Sometimes situations are just really, really, really bad. And we, if we look at our lives and we look at the world that we live in and we look at situations, all you can say is, this is horrible. But you have to remember, and this is the reason why I wrote this book, is because that's not the only story. As we love to say here at Crossroads, and it's all through this book, that life is messy, but Jesus is real. See, in the midst of a life that is awful, there is always a reason to choose hope because of who Jesus is. Because God says he'll never leave his people, nor forsake them. Although sometimes, like David in the Psalms, it feels like, well, maybe God has forsaken me. Maybe things are terrible. Maybe God doesn't love me. And the answer is no, God absolutely loves you. But sometimes life is a total train wreck. And we can always choose hope. I mean, this situation that they find themselves in, this is bad. I mean, try and imagine living in a walled city, which in that culture was the way to be protected from all of the things that could go on in the world. But now you have a, an army that is circling around the city that you can't get anything in or out. And they're literally running out of food. And they're willing to spend exorbitant amounts of money to eat dove poop or the head of a donkey which they would never have eaten in any other situation. And they're running out of supplies and people are starving to death. And as you continue in this section here, it's amazing because we find that the king of Israel was passing by on the wall and a woman cries out to him and says, my king, help. And he, you could see the king is beside himself and he's struggling and he reprimands the woman. He literally reprimands her that the Lord does not help you. Where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor? From the It's like, look, I got nothing to give you. I can't help you. But after he's done getting upset with her, he asks her a question. And he says to her, in effect, what's troubling you? And this woman tells him the most horrible story. She says, listen, this woman came to me 
And she said, give your son, and we'll eat your son today. And then tomorrow, I'll give you my son, and we'll eat him tomorrow. And she says, so I boiled my son, and we ate him, and now she hid her son. Now, this is horrible. But imagine living, and I'm not trying to justify this woman's actions, but try and imagine living where everybody is starving to death and your best option is killing your kids and eating them. I mean, who wants to have that thought? Who in their right mind would say that? I mean, it's just even the idea of it is completely repulsive. But that's where they are right now. Their situation is so absolutely awful that this is a good idea in this woman's mind. Now, obviously I can make the application that if somebody wants to eat your kids, you should say no. And if they want you to, and it's hard to make light of this, but it's like don't eat yours first maybe is a good application. But I bring this up because, you know, as a teacher, you read this stuff and you're like, okay, so what do you say about that? And the only thing I can come up with is sometimes life is just awful. Sometimes awful things go on. And many of you right now are walking through seasons or maybe in the future you will walk through seasons where things are just about as bad as you could imagine. Everything is going wrong. What's even more terrifying is that in the book of Deuteronomy, God told the children of Israel that this was going to happen if they forsook him. Listen to Deuteronomy 28, verses 52 and 53. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your lands which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your own sons and your daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you. See, when God laid out for the children of Israel before they entered the promised land, what we're studying at our midweek gathering here at Crossroads God said, look, I present before you blessings or cursings, and if you follow me, and if you fear me, and if you're obedient to my ways, then you will experience all my blessings. But if you do not honor me, and you do not fear me, and you trust in the walls of your city, and in your kings, and in your other gods, and you forsake my way, then this is going to be the outcome of it. And now you fast forward to 2 Kings chapter 6, and this is literally happening. Now, In this situation right here, when things are awful, everybody wants to blame God, right? That's what everybody does. This is why I can never believe. Why would God do this? Now listen, oftentimes it's not God's doing, it's the natural outgrowth of our rebellion against God. And we have to ask ourselves, what part do I play in it? Now, don't get me wrong, the blame game's been going on since the beginning of humanity. Everybody wants to look outside of themselves. It's always somebody else's fault. And always God lands with the hot potato of blame. But God said, I want to bless you. But you have a part to play in this. So we have to ask ourselves, 
What part of the awfulness of our situation are actually our responsibility? What part of the issues that we deal with are the natural outgrowth of rebellion against God? I've said it before. If I end up getting lung cancer at some point in my life, I can't blame God for that because I put a whole lot of things other than air in my lung before I got saved. I can't blame God for doing that. I chose to do that even though I grew up in the just say no generation. Can't blame God for that though. It is the potential natural outgrowth of putting something other than good old fashioned oxygen in my lungs. See, sometimes things are awful. They just are. And I want to encourage you Because this story is going to be an encouragement that oftentimes God doesn't leave things awful. Like pain and struggles and issues, they're not pointless. There's something for us to learn that we can only learn in the crucible of these things. Look at what happens from here. In verse 30, it says, Now it happened... When the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes and he passed by on the wall and the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body and he said, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Saphat, remains on him today. But Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him, but before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So the king hears this story, this horrible story of cannibalism within his own city, amongst his own people. And he hears that he literally tears his robes. Now all through the Bible, we're reminded that the tearing of the robes was an expression of deep distress and sorrow. It was the way somebody showed that they were, their heart was breaking, that they were in mourning. And when they did that, it exposed that his undergarments were made of sackcloth, which was like a black goat's hair that was a sign of repentance and self-affliction. So the king was, as he's watching the awful reality of the situation of, this, of his kingdom, of his city, he's also repenting and he's afflicting his own body but what's amazing is is that although we have this tearing of the robes and this sackcloth these outward signs notice what he says in verse 31 he says God do so to me and more so also if the head of Elisha the son of Saphat remains on him today this is important when things are awful don't lash out don't lash out see The king wants to blame Elisha. Now, is what's going on Elisha's fault? No. 
At best, Elijah's job was to explain why it was happening. He wasn't the cause of it. But in the king's mind, this is Elisha's fault. It's God's inside man. The reason God is not blessing this city or my kingdom is because of that stinky prophet Elisha and his true, real, biblical spirituality. See, when you lash out in times of affliction, it is never rational. It's never rational. He says, oh, yeah, this is so bad. If I pray that the Lord would kill me if I don't kill Elisha by the end of the day. And he actually sends a guy. It says here, he sends a guy to go get him. Now, meanwhile, Elisha is sitting in his house. And the elders are sitting with him. Now, what's amazing is, is you ask yourself, why is Elisha sitting in his house with the elders of the region? Probably because they're like, Elisha, what is going on? Why is things so terrible? They're most likely looking for counsel, and Elisha, because he's God's inside man, knows exactly what's going on. He says, listen. <laughs> he says to them, do you see how the son of a murderer has sent someone to take off my head? See, in the king's mind, he can't even take responsibility for his fallen leadership. He just wants to blame somebody. Now listen, this has been going on since the foundation of humanity, and it goes on so much today. It is so easy to find someone to blame. The reason this is going on is because of that person, or that group of people, or these people, or that, and it's not rational. It's not rational. I want you to sit down for one second and think to yourself, who do I have a tendency to blame for my issues? Who's the people who are on the hook for the things that are awful in my life? And you need to write that down and you need to make a commitment in your own heart that you're going to stop blaming the wrong people. Because it's so easy to blame somebody. It's my spouse. It's my parents. It's the political party. It's this group of immigrants. It's this person or that person. It's the prophet of God, because he has the audacity to tell me that what I'm doing doesn't honor Jesus. What I have learned in the hearts of humanity, there is always a scapegoat. There's always somebody who's to blame for the ills that I'm experiencing. There's always somebody who, if we're left up to our own devices, we want to pass the buck on. What's interesting is this king is completely lacking in self-reflection. And you got to love Elijah. He's like, you see this son of a murderer? It's like the king doesn't realize that even his desire to kill Elisha because he's mad is part of the problem. He doesn't even get it. Now, you can make the case, well, given the extremity of how bad this situation, how extreme it is, cut the king a little slack. And the answer is no. Sometimes life is simply awful. That was certainly the case in today's message, where Pastor Daniel shared with us the besieging of Samaria. Things got so bad that mothers were eating their own children. God's inside man, Elisha, was just like us. He lived in a challenging world, but he continued to bring the kingdom of God into it. While the world is awful, it's still not the only story. Life is awful, but Jesus is real. 
everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share what part the people of Israel played in their own destruction. When God laid out his plan for them, he gave them the option to choose between obedience and blessing or rebellion and hardship. The hardship that comes is so often a natural outgrowth of our own rebellion. What part have you played in your own hardship? Next time, we'll dive into this and more. There is more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Inside Man. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.